What's up, Salt? How we doing? Yeah, sweet. Good to see all your faces tonight. Very, very excited. Those are the worst announcements I have ever heard in my life. That, that's not how you do announcements, Mikey and Liv. You got, you got to like let them sit in it for a while. You know, you got to like let like <laughs> let like the announcement do its thing and like get people, you know, I'm sorry, get people like excited about it. You know, that was way too fast and like nobody enjoyed that. Just kidding. I am. Yeah, that was that was good. That's the way they're supposed to be done for sure. Um, okay, guys, we are finishing up this uh, kind of first series on uh, who we are, right? Uh, we wanted to introduce ourselves to you. Um, the first few weeks, we want to introduce, first off, what we believe, right? And we talked about like, like the hero of heaven, like the, the promised one coming who we, we see our, our sin problem in the world. We see death. We see pain. We see all the problem. And we see the snake crusher, right? We see like Jesus promised all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And we see when Jesus shows up, what he's requiring of us is not our perfection. What he's requiring of us is not our perfect obedience or that we come to him all cleaned up, that we figured our life out before we're going to know. He's actually just saying, no, if you actually need rescued, here I am. And so we kind of came across like what we believe is that we believe the greatest news in the galaxy. We're like, it's what we're singing about every single song. If you think about it, it's like the exact same thing just from different angles that we are singing about how much Jesus loves us and how, thank- how thankful we are for that. That's what we believe. And then like Mikey last week just brought the hammer down with like where we belong. Like God doesn't just like save like orphaned people who were like, you know, just sinners. And he's like, all right, now that you're saved, good luck. Like try harder and do better. No, he's actually bringing us into a family to belong to like Mikey explained. And, and that's what we're doing here. Not just a bunch of like individuals who are just like trying to get their fix for the week, but like an army or a family bound together. Not perfect, actually incredibly messed up and imperfect, but a people who are trying to unite around the cross of Jesus nonetheless. And so we have our message. We have the good news and what we believe. We have the family to belong to and where we belong there. But my question tonight is, what do we do with it next? What in the world does it look like to take that really, really good news that's changed your life that you can sing about and be passionate about and just throw your hands up and just like, just do crazy. Like the thing that changes your life. What does it actually look like for you and the people around you to take that message out? What does it look like to not be just a Christian and name in these walls, but actually to be a follower of Jesus out in the real world? Tonight, we're going to talk about the life not wasted. There is actually an appropriate response to this good news. uh, And there's actually, believe it or not, a life so exhilarating and full of purpose that anything short of what we're going to be talking about tonight would actually be a waste of your life. And I know that's offensive. And I know it's not popular to say, but we're going to the end of the Bible. We started at the beginning, we went to the middle, and now we're going to the end of Revelation 5. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is actually going to, before that, going to give us a way that it looks like a command or a commission, a sending out almost of what it looks like for the Christian, the one who's had his life transformed, to not waste their life. Check it out, guys. You guys have probably heard this. This is Matthew 28. They're going to put that on the screen. This is what they call the Great Commission. Jesus just came alive, and he's about to go back up to heaven, and he's empowering his disciples, right? Like, people are gathered around him, and he's saying the last things he wants to say before going up to heaven. This is it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How to do that? You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or to observe everything that I've commanded you. There it is. There is an incredibly big mission for the Christian. 
That you have been given a stewardship or a responsibility now. That God has done something so incredible in you that he actually wants to do something through you. That he actually wants to send the people in this room, believe it or not, all over the globe. So that people who don't have access to Bibles, people who don't know Jesus, people who don't have the luxuries of would actually hear this good news and would actually repent just like you and I have. That we, they would have their eyes open just like you and I have. That they would see Jesus as beautiful and they would enter in his eternity with us. That the family of God doesn't just stop in these walls, but the family God has a mission to go bring as many people as possible in. What an awesome opportunity that you guys have, that we have here in Iowa City, or Tiffin, for these four years or so of your life to see this great commission take shape. But here's my fear tonight. It's sobering, but here's my fear. So many of you come in tonight looking for a recliner with the name of Salt Company plastered on it so that you can waste the four years you have in college. So many people who come to a big experience, who have a mountaintop emotional high, who genuinely maybe even give their life to Christ and have one of those moments like, yes, Jesus, I repent. And you, you're just on fire, right? You feel it. You experience it. It's good. It's easy. We come. We find community. We worship every single Thursday. And if you're extra good, maybe even come on Sundays to Veritas, I don't know. But something terrifying happens. We get comfortable. We become lethargic. We love the words of God that make us feel good, but we don't like commands like this to go and to be the church outside of these walls. Life goes on, stresses come and go. Our passions just kind of fade away. And if we're honest, if we're taking inventory of even the past month, Maybe just the past year, I don't know what it is, maybe it's just your past week. Matthew 28 and that Great Commission actually sounds like a very distant memory to you. Like a sound that's not pleasant to your ears. Like that's something that's uniquely burdensome and hard that you don't want to feel the guilt of not doing. We aren't worshiping with full hearts like we used to. We aren't sharing the gospel like we used to. We aren't reaching out like we used to. Our connection groups aren't something that people want to come to because it's, it's just like stale bread. It's just like we're not offering anything fresh. We get terrified when we're asked if we're making disciples or not. And most terrifying of all, we can't remember the last time we sat down and had an intimate time with our Lord. Christian, if you're out there tonight, and if you are holding fast to the cross and you're saying, that is my Savior, that is my King Jesus, there are far more ways to waste your life than drinking yourself to death in the bars. Drugs, sex, and rock and roll is not actually how probably most of the people in here are choosing to waste their lives. We can get so consumed with kind of like an us in here versus them out there mentality that we actually fool ourselves to thinking that we are following Jesus. We come here and feel so much, right? We feel. I see that. And we have these spiritual moments when we go out there and the Spirit actually urges us to do something. It actually starts prodding us to obey and we quench Him. We don't want His voice in our life. And here's the reality, guys. I think you would agree with me. I don't think this is too harsh. I would rather preach to one radically sinful person who turns away and repents of their sins I would rather preach to one radically sinful person who turns away from their sins and repents than thousands of sleeping Christians who don't give a rip if people around them are going to hell. 
So here's how we're going to attack this tension, right? Can I feel it? <laughs> I feel it. I don't feel good. Here's how we're going to attack this tension. We're going to the Word of God. We're going to the end of the story. We're not just going to try and make like a scheme and like a strategy and have like 10 steps for you guys. Like, here's how you like fulfill the Great Commission. If you do these steps, you will make Jesus happy with what he told you to do before he went up to heaven. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get a well-planned out guilt trip either. Don't worry. We're not going to do any of that. We're actually going to look at the end of what an unwasted life looks like. We're going to look at actually the culmination, the fulfillment of Jesus's great commission, the victory that is already won for all of us if we would have it. And when we see this clearly, guys, if, oh man, guys, if we see this clearly, lean in, if we see this clearly tonight, every single thing about your life is going to change. Every single thing about my life, guys, I'm so ready for it to change. That I want to just cherish and grasp onto Revelation 5 tonight like it was actually true and I actually believed it. We're going to look at that. And here's Revelation 5 in a nutshell, guys. Here's the big idea of Revelation 5. Very simple. Jesus conquered death and he rules absolutely everything. How cool is that? Jesus conquered death and rules absolutely everything. This is that truth. This is the truth that if we get that tonight, if we see it in God's word for our, for, for our own eyes, for ourselves, this will change everything about who you are and who Salt Company is. How do we know this to be true? Let's look at it for ourselves. We're going to see this kind of story, this kind of narrative, like John's having a vision, right? Like this, this angel has brought him before the Lord and he is seeing the future, He's seeing heaven. He's seeing what it will be like to be ushered into eternity, into the kingdom of God. And he has him write it down for us. And it's weird, okay? There's going to be some stuff in here like, I don't get it. Welcome to the club. This is some weird stuff that's very confusing. We're going to make it very, very simple. We're going to understand why it's so important tonight. So this is Revelation 5, verses 1 through 4. The first scene is the problem with a scroll, okay? This is what it says. Then I, John... In this vision, I, I saw in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look in it. Told you it was weird. Okay, we're going to heaven. We're going to a place where what we just sang about, we are desperate. Like our small view of God is about to be absolutely blown up. All right, and, and we're seeing this problem first, right? The problem first is that there is a scroll, okay? Like a book, but rolled up if you don't know what a scroll is. And it's got writing on the front and the back. And it seems incredibly important. So important that this angel's proclaiming to the masses, like, who can do this? Like, it's got these seven seals, which means it's like closed and I can't open it, but we need to read it. It seems incredibly important. So important, like, John's weeping and weeping, it says. Like, why is he crying? Like, it, that's just weird. We don't get it. Why is it using this kind of cryptic language? What's going on? Well, this is what's going on. This is what the scroll's about. One word. Authority. The scroll is about authority. Think of it as like a title deed for like, a, like owning land, okay? 
Like title deeds often kind of had like this format, like a, a scroll with like writing on the inside, but just, a, just enough writing on the outside to where you would be able to know what was in it. Okay, so John's able to see this, like the angel's able to see this and understand that this is like a title deed of not just like land or a home, but of the cosmos, of the universe, of every single thing under the created order. This scroll represents ownership and authority over everything. And if you read on in Revelation as the seals open, we see the judgment of God poured out one after another. That as one seal is open, judgment of God, boom. Number two, judgment of God, boom. And we see it happen over and over again until it is completely unraveled. And what's at stake with this scroll is absolutely incredible. It's actually the undoing of everything bad in the universe. All the injustice, all the pain, sadness, evil, and death will meet its fate when this scroll is opened. In other words, if this scroll could be opened, all bad things would finally be undone. The problem is that nobody is worthy to open it. You see that word over there, like, who is worthy to open it? And they're looking around, and there's nobody. And it's not a room of like 500 people. It's like armies of angels, hosts of angels. And they're all looking at the guy next to him like, I can't do it. Nobody was power, powerful enough to defeat death and all the evil. Nobody was good enough to make every single thing right in the universe. The scroll is like a title deed, but nobody can wield and control or own it. Nobody in heaven and on earth is worthy, and we enter in the tension here because nobody can stomp their foot and say, enough. This is why John is weeping, because he is persecuted, right? He's hurting He's following Jesus and it's cost him everything. And he's reaching a point here where he actually is getting a vision of heaven and thinking that he has lost all hope. And maybe that's some of you guys tonight. Maybe you're coming to your eyes like, you know what, dude? I haven't been wasting my life. Thanks for the guilt trip, but that's not me. Okay. If you're not wasting your life, if you are taking this good news that Jesus is giving to you and is going through you and you're trying to make disciples and, and share your faith with everybody and you're actually like stepping up in class and being bold and courageous with your life, I guarantee that it is harder than you once thought it was going to be. There could be people in here tonight who are actually not wasting your life, but to you, I just want to say, if you're tired, is there any hope? If you're exhausted and you're beat down and you're weary, is there hope? Let's move on to the next part. We move on from the problem with the scroll to the hero on the scene. Look at verses five through seven. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Okay, here we find hope. Here we find the hero finally showing up and taking ownership and authority over all of the evil that has been done in the universe. Look what he is like. He's like a conquering lion of the tribe of Judah, something that we've been waiting for since the Old Testament. Like he's majestic. He's powerful. Think like Aslan and Narnia. Like he just like shows up on the scene and everybody just trembles. He's mighty to save. 
this lion just exudes power, authority, ferocity. He's unstoppable. He is strong. He is the one promised of old. He is the noble and good victor. And you can almost feel the hope rising as John is seeing this vision and all of his tears are just stopping as he is just in awe and reverence and fear of this mighty lion. And so the hero is first seen as a lion. But look what happens right after they introduce him. Look at verse six and seven again. It says, then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. Underline slaughtered and standing. That's insane. A slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. The hero is first seen as a lion, powerful and victorious and worthy to take the scroll. But now he is a lamb standing as though he was murdered. Standing as though he was slaughtered. Weak, tender, destroyed. And yet victorious, standing in heaven, taking rightful ownership of everything. This lion is the lamb. This slain and risen one is the hero we need in this story. This is Jesus. And Jesus, as the powerful lion and the humble lamb, as he rolls up onto this, he takes the scroll and he takes his throne all authority over evil and death belongs to the one who was slain and rose again victorious. Death could now be taunted only by him. Only by him because his mouth actually tasted death in its fullness. Life could be given out by him as he pleased because he himself invented life. And now he has authority to give it to us. What happens when the champion takes his throne? We have the problem of a scroll that can't be opened. Authority needs to happen. The lion and the lamb rolls up as a, like this victorious, slaughtered animal king. And what happens next? Oh, it's amazing, guys. The greatest song ever, okay? I'm gonna finish out from verse eight all the way through 14, okay? This is, if you have to like close your eyes and not listen song, this is, this is just beautiful, man. Listen to this. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures these like majestic beasts, don't get caught up on too many details. These 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea and everything in them, say blessing and honor and glory and power. Be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen. And of course the elders, they fell down and worshiped. Have you ever read this stuff? This is crazy beautiful. John was just taken to a spot of helplessness to a spot of seeing our champion Jesus in his most vulnerable state, in his most victorious state. And then he gets to witness 
what us Christians are going to be able to witness for all eternity without ending, the most beautiful worship service of all time. What we see next, or what we hear, is the best song ever. If you're thinking about One Direction like I am right now, <laughs> it's not that. Dang it, shoot, shouldn't have paused so long. I just started playing in my head. Ugh. No, it's like a million, like Blake's, Conrad's, like Victoria's, like, it's like, imagine like them, like a million of them, and then like a million times better. Unbelievably better. And not songs that you've heard a hundred times, like why do we gotta sing that again? A new song, over and over again a new song. And what is the song saying? What are these songs saying? What is the one word description that we just keep repeating? It's worthy, worthy, worthy. Why worthy? Look at verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because, here it is, you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God by your blood. Why is this hero Jesus, this lamb, worthy? Because Jesus was slaughtered for your sins. He was slaughtered so his innocent blood could wash away the guilt of our sins and poisonous infection in our souls. He was slaughtered so that he could actually purchase people for God with his blood. He was slaughtered as the perfect son of God so that God could bring us into his family. He was under the sting of death, but for a moment, so he could ultimately claim authority in this moment. Because the one who has authority over death and evil has the power to make every single thing that is wrong, right. The song is worthy. Because after 10,000 years, after 10 million years of singing that word, we will only begin to scratch the surface of how worthy and how weighty what Jesus has done for me was. Worthy is the song, right? That's the lyrics. That's the big idea of the song, but we got to zoom in one more thing. Who makes up the choir? This is maybe one of the most exciting parts of the entire thing. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. You purchase people from God from every tribe, every language, people, and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on earth. Do you get this? Are you seeing what I'm pointing at here? Do you understand what's going on? Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation on the face of this earth will be represented in heaven. Guys, the mission of Jesus that he gives us actually happens. The weighty call that Jesus gives to his church to take his good news of gospel and spread to every single person actually works. That there will be representatives from every single different culture ever. Have you guys ever been to a different culture with like a worship service? It's the coolest thing ever. Like even just like thinking about that, I was thinking about like when I was in like Uganda and this song just popped in my head that I'll never forget for obvious reasons. It's like the kids like marching and singing like, Jesus is a winner man, a winner man, a winner man, a winner man. But they said, wiener man. It was hilarious. It's like, like, you know, just acts like, Jesus is a wiener man, a wiener man, a wiener man, a wiener man. Satan is a loser man, a loser man, a loser man, a loser man. Like, have you ever experienced something that joyful? Why don't we sing that, Blake? Come on. Like how simple and wonderful it is to see the good news of Jesus just 
not just like overwhelm a culture, but come up from underneath and be uniquely represented by people groups. Like the, the mission, the great commission of Jesus as he's sending us out of here. He's saying in this moment, guys, just don't miss this, that it's actually going to work. That his power and his blood is actually enough. That his sovereign rule, which means his power and his overall control, will make sure of it. Jesus wins and his blood will reach every single corner of this earth. Our hope is not in vain, friends. The victory of Jesus is your new standard for success. Tonight is not about salt companies succeeding. Tonight is not about us raising our banner, getting as many people in our C groups as we possibly can. Tonight is about stopping and realizing that we all share in this victory if we are in Christ. That our standard of success is not how many people come to our event or how successful we feel we are in our ministry or our Christian walk. Our success is right here in the slaughtered lamb, not laying down, standing and taking authority of everything. Jesus conquered death and rules absolutely everything. That's Revelation 5. But now the question is, how does this triumphal truth actually affect us? Like what new vision does this give us? What new vision does Salt Company need in light of Revelation 5 that will actually change us? What's going to happen? And now I'm just daring you to dream with me, right? Like, as far as I can tell, whatever ideas I throw out, too small, but I'm going to go for it anyway. When we understand the ultimate authority and victory of Jesus, the slaughtered and risen lamb, every single thing changes when Jesus commissions his followers to go to the whole world and spread the gospel. I don't know if you had this gut feeling of like, how in the world can I do that? But I know I, I have that all the time when I think about that. How in the world can I face persecution, ridicule, ridicule, un, like unpopularity? That's almost the worst. Like, how can I face those things? How can I face potential death if people hate the message that I bring? The better question is this, if Jesus has guaranteed the success of his church, how could we not? The question is not, how can we sacrifice so much of our lives for the kingdom of God? The question is, how could we ever waste our lives by not charging the gates of hell together? If Jesus promises us that his spirit is actually in us, right, that what is animating our life and bringing us home to eternity forever is actually the same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead, how can we not open our mouths and see what he would do? How can we stifle him with fear, cowardice, and apathy when boldness is the gift that is given us? How do we keep quiet? This is the life not wasted, guys. It's the life that is fearlessly sold out for the glory of God. This is the life not wasted, knowing the slaughtered lamb and actually sharing in his victory now. This is the life not wasted, getting off our spiritual recliners tonight and actually wanting to see God perform miracles in Iowa City. Guys, look again at Matthew, 8, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. Okay, I, I gave you this much of it at the beginning. Look at that, that much. Let me expand it. This, this, is, what, this is what it fully says adding a verse before and after. It says this, Jesus came near and he said to them, 
all authority. All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Circle that. All authority has been given me, Jesus, on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. He's not just telling you to go. He's he's starting by saying, this is the reality of the situation. I am in control. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything I've commanded you. And here it is. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is not pulling you aside today and giving you an impossible mission. He's not sending you out to a place he would not go himself. He is actually outside waiting for you, calling, let's go. Follow me. I have authority. I will be with you. And your victory is as sure as my life is. This is a life not wasting, knowing the authority and the victory of Jesus and actually acting like it. Friends, for the millions who don't know this good news, for the millions in this world who do not know the good news, what will we do but take it to them? For the hundreds you could share with in Asia on a summer trip next year, for the hundreds of people who are trying to learn English and you can actually talk to them about Jesus next summer, like, what will it do to stop you from going? Like, what could possibly get in the way of a summer with a vision that big for you? For the hundreds who live in your dorm for one year of your life, who is going to tell them about Jesus? For the person next to you in class who is going to invite them into this victory that you have been given so freely in Christ, there is a life so exhilarating, guys, and so full of purpose that anything short of that would be a waste. This is that life leveraging absolutely everything you have for this slaughtered and risen lamb. And I'm begging you tonight just to simply not waste these four years of your life. Some of you guys are like, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. I'm just checking this out. Sweet, jump on and set the pace. You right now can be a part of this. You right now can be proof that Jesus has authority to save souls from death. And your eyes can be open to see him as beautiful tonight, right this moment. That when you see that you are sinful, that you don't have hope, but Jesus is here to save you and you say yes, boom. And then go. Go nuts and put us to shame. I'm going to beg you guys to not waste your fraternity or sorority. Are the letters next to your name or the letters you're raising up in the air more important than the name of Jesus being lifted up in your life? I'm going to beg you to not waste your sports or your athletic career. Is the glory you are chasing and receiving for you more important than the glory that Jesus is supposed to be receiving through you? Don't waste your dorm. Is the awkward conversation, rejected invite, or who sits to you next to you at a dining hall table more important than the eternal souls of the hundreds living next to you for one year of your life? Don't waste your house or your living situation. Is your comfort and your closest friend group more important than the simple hospitality that can actually rejuvenate and bring life to a whole community? Don't waste your 21st birthday, for goodness sake. Is the freedom that you're due in the social norms of our culture more important than the holiness that was bought for you with the perfect blood of Jesus? Don't waste your summer. Is the internship, is the cash that's going to be filled in your pocket more important than participating in the spread of the gospel around the world so that people who will never hear it could hear it from you? Salt Company, 
the best way for us to not go to battle against one another in this room. To not be caught up in the quarrels and the strifes and the disagreements is to actually go to battle alongside one another. This is not about growing our ministry and then making the name of Salt Company known so all the world can know how great we are. This is about you. This is about you getting to that scene of heaven that we just read about and bringing as many people as possible with you. This is about us, the church, God's family, charging towards the gates of hell with every single thing we got and actually winning. We are not here to get comfortable and make every message palatable for our American dream. We are here to take our small dreams to the grave, to kill them and replace them with something far better. Guys, there is so much life to be had. And I am begging you, in light of Revelation 5, to not waste it. And I'm telling you guys, so many of you are not. And I'm so happy. You guys, there are so many people, like Jake, who his freshman year comes up to me, after coming to Saul on and off and bailing on things and not going to his connection group, you know, he was like the worst Saul guy ever, but he comes around and freshman year in May, May, finals week, he calls me and says, I need to talk. And he gets in my car and he's wrecked because he hit rock bottom in such a way that it actually broke him this time. And in that car, he gives his life to Christ. And over the next years, he falls, he stumbles, he does what he can to follow Jesus as well as he can. But as Jesus continues to change him and he is dedicated to not wasting his four years and not wasting the rest of his life, he takes his finance business degree or whatever and he takes it on a church plant so that he can share this gospel with as many people as he possibly can. Are there more Jakes in this room who don't need to be pastors to not waste their life? What about Matt? What about Akua? What about Mariah? What about, help me out, Laura, shoot, dang it, I hope you don't watch this, Laura, what about them, people who do the exact same thing, who Jesus gets a hold of their life in college, and they go on a summer trip to overseas in Asia to share the gospel with as many people as they possibly can in a short time, to feed into our church plan over there, and you know what, they loved it, and they moved back this fall. So they could leverage their entire life for the next two years to make it their life goal to share this good news with as many people in Asia as possible. And what about the countless amounts of you in here who believe that this campus is on the verge of revival for the name of Jesus? I'm telling you, don't lose heart. I'm daring you to believe that this vision of Revelation 5 could actually be true and that Jesus has all authority and that he is with us, and he is not in here sending us out. He is out there on campus begging us to follow him. And that is how we're not going to waste our life, guys. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for the good news that you save sinners, God, and that my pre-qualification be led into this family of God is not that I was great, but that I was awful, that my sin was so rancid and wretched, God, that I can never save myself, I can never clean myself up enough good enough to come before this amazing holy throne that you've showed us, and yet you saved me and brought me in anyway, 
And as we see what John sees, as we see the ultimate victory and the sovereign rule and command and authority of our Jesus, would we charge towards the gates of hell with reckless abandon? Would this place not be a place that is pettily obsessed with our comfort? That we would be different that we would not try and blend in with the rest of society, but that we would strive for holiness, knowing that we would rather be like Jesus than ourselves. That we would rather see one sinner come to repentance and salvation in Christ than anything else in the world. And God, we cannot do this on our own. We thank you for your great commission that you didn't just send us out, God, but you buffered it with, oh, I got you. I've got you. All authority on heaven and earth is mine. And you ended with the most comforting words of a conquering hero, king, and father could ever give his people. I'm with you. So now, God, would you stir our hearts to consider what it looks like for us to not actually waste our lives, but to leverage our lives for the kingdom of God here on earth to worship with our full hearts, to reach up with our arms towards heaven, towards this scene, and get a fresh vision for how amazing the good news of Jesus actually is.